I'm Nicole. And I'm Rachel. This is the Movement Toward Change podcast. We are using dance as a means to cultivate community and start conversation. Today, we are honored to speak with Brian McGinnis. Brian is a massage therapist in Boston, Massachusetts, and a professor of dance at the Boston Conservatory. He has a BFA in dance from the Juilliard School and a master's in dance from the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Brian has danced with a variety of companies, including Lara Lubavitch, Elisa Monte, David Parsons, and Jacqueline Bugisi. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Rachel and Nicole. Of course. So could you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a massage therapist and whether a specific event shaped your career? Uh, I started to think about the becoming a massage therapist somewhere maybe after eight years of dancing, like dancing professionally and decided that maybe I wanted to try something else for a couple of years. And so I was searching around for an opportunity that felt right. And I found massage and it felt like a good match because it brought the body and movement and also kind of being around people together. So uh, it was a time that I just needed a break, you know, for a few, it took a couple of years to get the degree. And, and then I went back to my dance career and continued to use massage to um, just have experiences and also to, um, you know, continue to make more money, you know, make some money and income. What would you say the benefits of massage therapy are for dancers? And should a dancer only see a massage therapist if they are injured? Um, or could it be used for preventative care? Um, you can definitely see massage therapists for an acute pain. Um, and, but there's also a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, attributes to seeing massage therapists on a regular basis because the body will, um, will relax, the muscles will relax, they do change over time. And especially with massage, it is accumulative. So like the more you do it, the more it does relax your body. Um, and the muscle. I mean, the benefit of massage, I mean, for number one, like there's, I mean, we always think it's for muscu muscular, like uh, relaxation, um, but it is just, it, it could be just for, for relaxation in general. It doesn't have to be so deep penetrating. Sometimes it's really important to relax the system. It also has to do a blood flow and circulation. So it brings um, new uh, nutrients to the affected areas that could possibly be injured. Uh, also collaterally, like so if you have an acute injury that cannot be massaged, it's really important that you still understand that you could do collateral massage. The areas around the affected areas still need to be worked on and still need to have blood flow and circulation, which actually helps the affected area heal faster. Interesting. So it kind of leads perfectly into my next question, but what would you say are the top three ways to prevent injury? And is there anything specific we should be thinking about as we go back into the studio after having all this time in quarantine? Uh, I think like, I think that we should definitely be continuing our practice of movement, regardless of what that is for you in your own personal space and time. Um, stretching and continuing to get some aerobic exercise to go outside, take long walks. 
you know, to pause for a moment on a blanket and maybe stretch during this time of COVID. We can still go outside, we can still move. So keeping our bodies like prepped for that is really important. Uh, I think for self uh, care, definitely like, being able to stop and relax is really important. Um, also finding a treatment that works for you that you do connect to. So some people would you know, suggest chiropractics or acupuncture or meditation or yoga or Pilates, right? So like finding what fits you is really important and being able to sit there with that. Uh, and the third one I, would, I think would be nutrition and diet to know to be feeding, to be feeding and fueling your system appropriately, you know, so that it has the opportunity to recharge and to start the next day. You know, because it's important to do that. Mm. I take a lot of baths. I love my bath. That's my self-care for sure. I've heard Epsom salt yeah. baths are, are really good. I like to take those sometimes. I, yeah, I'm a huge believer in Epsom salt bath. I mean, I sit in warm water. I think it's really important for our muscles. Uh, so if a dancer doesn't have access to a massage therapist, what sort of um, myofascial release can be done at home? Uh, well, I mean, like myofascial is like the, uh, is the outer layer of the muscles a lot of times that we're talking about. So, I mean, specifically myofascial treatment is like actually like rolling the skin between your fingertips is actually a myofascial treatment. Um, so you want to grab like just the skin and you're trying to pull the skin away from the bottom fibers of the, of the bottom tissues. And you can do that around small joints like ankles and knees. And it does allow for circulation in those areas. Um, and that's, that, that's a specific, I mean, myofascial, I think is a very, it tends to be a general term, but a myofascial treatment is very slow. It's penetrating. Um, you're noticing trigger points while you're working myofascially. Um, it's definitely about bringing blood to the surface. So, and so, and, uh, so it's slow drag. It's almost if you were to slow drag, get your hand along your thigh, and you would see like a red pigment or a pigment change of some sort because of that, almost like an Indian burn. Well, that's considered myofascial treatment. So like myofascial is like, you know, it's, it's an interesting term. <clears throat> Hmm. What about like um, using a lacrosse or a tennis ball for breaking up knots? Would that be different? I mean, like those, I mean, those are going to be for targeted areas. I mean, they're different because one is deep tissue. I mean, when you're pushing, I mean, you have to, you have to decide on how you want to treat the muscles. You know, do you want to treat your muscles with like, do you want to treat your muscles with pulling? Do you want to treat your muscles with pushing? Right? Like, it's different textures. And we know that even as the dancers, right? Like pulling away from something is very different from pushing into something energetically. And you can treat your muscles the same way. Like you grab the muscle and like kind of shake it off the bone or you push into it towards the bone, right? Those are like really two different philosophies of how to treat, you know, your feeling. So we need to know like what, what you're looking for, what feels right, what works, you know, and you said you can connect to that as the more, more that we continue to work on ourselves and to have others work on us. 
And then where would you say that foam rolling plays into that? Is that similar? Well, I think like the foam, foam rolling is definitely like a particular to like each person if you decide to use it. I mean, I, I, I think like it's great to loosen up, to allow like, you know, you can do cross, cross fiber treatment with that. So you can, you know, hold it vertically or horizontally depending on which way the muscle is traveling. Most times, like with the foam roller, you would notice you're doing cross. It's a natural instinct to use the foam roller and a cross fiber action. It's like, because otherwise you kind of can't sit on it, you know, or stand or like move on it. Like you kind of fall off. Like if you hold it vertically against a vertical muscle, you're going to be falling off a bit. Like for example, if you're holding it along the erectors, the long length of your back vertically, you kind of can't lay on it, you know what I mean? It's a little harder to lay on, but if you move it horizontally, right, that's that's automatically cross fiber, right? And so you do it on you do it automatically just for balance purposes. And so, but it is it is beneficial to hold it vertically as well, you know, on your erectors, you know, um, because in massage, if, when you, sometimes when you do cross fiber, it's like think of like pickup sticks, like you know, if you know what pickup sticks are. And they're all there, like a bunch of like sticks on the ground. And like, in order to get them kind of like together, you kind of like roll your hand over the top of it and it kind of like aligns them. So the muscles are the same way. They kind of get like a skew and like moving in different directions. So as you, you can feel the fibers, as you move over the fibers, they will, um, they can start to like realign, like pick up sticks almost where they're flowing back in the same direction. So like, as an example, if we were rolling our quad muscle, you would suggest rolling both like left to right like that pickup stick analogy and then also rolling up and down yeah i mean i would like i would definitely roll up and down because you want to separate some of the vastus muscles like you know like which are the quadricep muscles and those like you can separate some of those by, by i mean as if i work as a when you get a massage they push vertically onto those muscles right and so they don't push always horizontally onto those muscles you know, so if you think about it, like then, all, then we have this foam roller that now we're actually rolling up and down, but we're actually cross fibering it. So you can actually, you can do it the other way to separate the muscles. It's just depending on what you're trying to get at. If you're trying to get like a vastus intermedius, which is like the underlayer part of your first quadricep, uh, then, you know, you might want to do some of that like up and down uh, vertical massaging on the roll to like access that muscle. It's really hard to access, but your intentions are important. Yeah, that's such a cool analogy about the pickup sticks. I had never heard anything like that before, but that's such a good way to visualize it. Yeah, like they get really, like, um, our muscles, you know, fibers can become disorganized and they're supposed to be kind of running together, you know, like the same flow. So when they contract, like all the fibers are contracting in the same direction. And what happens is sometimes they're not doing that and then they become the problem. That's why myofascial treatment starts to fall into place because myofascial treatment is a high, it can hydrate the muscles. It can bring fluid back to the interstitial space between the muscles in the skin and the other, other muscles. It will add actually fluid back in those spaces so that the, the muscles are actually flowing over each other as opposed to being stuck to one another, right? And so a muscle that's supposed to be going right and left and, and then one that's on top of it is supposed to be going up and down, right? They're going in those directions, but the right and left one can now attach to the up and down one and you're pulling it in the wrong direction. That's why we get uncomfortable. 
And when the muscles are going in those opposite directions, that's when the knots occur, right? The pain happens, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they're kind of, and they're, they're running, currently those fibers are kind of going the wrong way, and then they're adhering to ones that they shouldn't be adhering to. Right, and that's why we get massage and myofascial treatments is to reorganize the, uh, the infrastructure of the muscles and to hydrate them. And then so about how often should a dancer be foam rolling and are there certain parts of the body that dancers might not want to foam roll, such as like hitting a bone or a ligament that might be detrimental? For sure, yeah, we definitely want to avoid our bony landmarks, you know, um, that's the most, I mean, valuable. I mean, there's not like a whole lot to, I would use my hands to like use those specific joints if those tendons were bothering me. I would just use my own hands or I would use something smaller, like the ball with like the three points and just gently, you know, kind of giving a little bit of like loving, gentle, gentle loving to like the tendon area and stuff like that. Just to keep it like, you know, alive and getting some, once again, getting the fluid back in there and giving it a little bit of um, release. But you know, I would do something that's much more cue oriented than something so, so so big as a foam roller, which you don't have as much control over. I would definitely use the foam roller on my larger muscle groups. Back, legs, you know, butts, hamstrings. So the final foam rolling related question would be, um, how often would you recommend a dancer foam roll? And would you say that should mainly be done before dancing or after? Oh, I mean, if we're asking specifically about foam rolling, uh, I mean, I just definitely think it's the, that's the dancer's choice. <laughs> I mean, what feels right? What makes you, what's your process? Like what gets you ready to go for your day? I mean, I can't tell you how many sugars to put in your coffee. You know what I mean? Or like how many times you need to stir your coffee, to stir your tea, you know what I mean? Before you take your shower, you know? So I think that you need to be conscious of like what you're doing to your body and preparing it. And maybe if you're doing something every single day, maybe experiment or trying something different one day you know, or not doing anything one day, like kind of showing up to class and kind of like allowing the class to kind of start to warm you up. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different ways which you can, I mean, the class is built for that, right? It's supposed to be built for that in the class that we're taking. So maybe thinking of it in that way or maybe doing more aerobic, like taking a longer walk before class or, I can't, you know, it's hard to say, you know, afterwards as well, like, for me, afterwards, it was a difficult time to meet a phone roll because I felt like my, mus my muscles were already so traumatized, you know, and they were already so tired from my day. And here I am again, like, now I'm pushing into them again, like, you know, and I felt like they just kind of wanted to be left alone for a few hours, you know? So, like, I would, like, gentle do warm down, stretch a little bit for me personally, start to quiet my body down a little bit, trying to calm my nervous system down. You know, because if, if I keep rolling, I'm still I'm still firing my nervous system, you know, and like starting to slow that down and maybe, you know, taking a shower or a bath by the time I get home, you know, because a lot of my work was done after the theater. So I wasn't, you know, able to do that there, but I would come home, take a bath at the end of the night, always like wash my feet if I was dancing barefoot to make sure like 
all like the dirt was off of them, like which was which was my ritual. But then I, you know, what maybe another dancer would leave their tape on their feet for a whole week, you know, and that was was amazing for them. And if they removed that tape, they couldn't foam roll either, you know. So it's like we find out what's best for. Uh, <laughs> I'm sensing it's not a one size fits all for foam rolling. <laughs> It's all. It's not. I know a lot of professional dancers that carry foam rollers on tour with them, and I know a lot of foam rollers. I mean, foam rollers. I know a lot of foam rollers without a home. Put it that way. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, on a similar path, both the warm up and the cool down. What would you say are some of the um, key components for both a proper warm up and cool down? I mean, proper warm up for me was not like necessarily like stretching because I don't think my muscles were ready for it. I would do like some cardio, do some sit ups, some push ups, like, you know, some like round, like uh, circular motions with my arms, like uh, side bending, um, motion oriented stuff, you know, like, yeah, more a little bit more moving. And then like I would start stretching a little bit um, as a warm up and then I would allow my class to start to engage me to my warm up and then after class I would stretch a lot because I would know that I would be going into rehearsal or to more classes depending on where you are in your experience of um, dance. And if I was going into more classes I would definitely be stretching if I was going into uh, rehearsal, I would for sure be putting in a long stretch session at that point because my muscles were warm, they were ready, you know, I might be even do standing stretching. So it kind of was like an active, active thing that was happening throughout the, the day. And then, you know, then the rehearsal would be up and you're kind of ignoring stretching basically through the rehearsals. And a lot of, you know, a lot of times it's distracting anyway. If I'm, you know, you don't really want to be doing a whole lot of work in the studio while the artist who is employing you, the choreographer, is working. So I'm not doing like crazy stretches and calisthenics in the corner, you know what I mean, when this person's trying to concentrate on making a dance, you know. So you're a little more quiet, you know, and being respectful of the space. And then, um, and then when we finish, you know, I would like hydrate really well. I mean, you know, we have our rituals with our friends, you know. Um, and then I guess some people would always go get like a really cold water from like the local like deli or something like that because they had the coldest wet water like in the freezers, you know. And so we would drink one of those and then, you know, hobble home and like have some dinner and sit. I would take a bath, you know, and or kind of leave my body alone a little bit. Like just getting home was kind of the warm down, you know, like I was still moving, did some gentle stretching, touching my toes, take a bath. Um, and then let my body rest, no matter how achy sometimes it was. Like sometimes stillness is an amazing thing and super important. We forget to use stillness in our daily practice. We also forget to um, close our eyes. And I think it's really important um, to remember that throughout the day we don't close our eyes. We rest everything else. We like rest our mind, we rest our, you know, we sit down, we eat. Right, we like, you do all these things that you never really take five minutes in the middle of the day to close your eyes. And so I started making that a practice of mine um, when I was in New York City dancing full time, is I would always like spend five to 10 minutes of like my lunchtime with my eyes closed. And I would also, when I was teaching, I noticed a lot of times my students would come to me to the, at the third class of the day, which means they haven't closed their eyes for three, for, for, for three classes. 
really, like consciously, right? They have stopped their bodies, but maybe they haven't caught. And maybe one of the teachers is like, close your eyes, you know, quiet your system. But I like to actually think about it. Like I'm thinking about closing my eyes. Like it's a conscious thing. No, not just like somebody's telling me, so. Yeah, no, that's such an important habit to create. I'm, a lot of people are thinking about mindfulness right now. I think that's, that's such a cool thing that you decided to start doing. Yeah, and I think also that idea of giving yourself permission to rest is so important. As dancers, it's kind of there's this idea that we're going, going, going all the time. But sometimes what we need most is just to take some time to close our eyes or to rest stop. after class and not continue what we're doing. Stop. You really need to stop. Like, we need to. And it's really important. And no way, I will argue this forever until the day I die, but no way. If you took 15 minute nap in the middle of your day, if you could, like I would sometimes like five, 15 minutes and actually close my eyes and fall asleep. No way can your body cool down that fast. <laughs> it can't do it. Like, it's not impossible. Like, you know, you've been like warming up for three hours or dancing for three or four hours. You know, it's like, how can you possibly, 15 minutes of stopping is not gonna ruin your whole rehearsal. You know, you don't have to get up and not take ballet class. You know, and you're gonna get up revived, you know, and alive, and you will feel better. I used, you know, I'm a firm believer in like, I'm a firm believer in that. It's a huge part of my, of all my um, self-care practice. All right, so switching gears a little bit, when do you think a dancer should use heat versus ice? So ice is for injuries, number one. Like if you get an injury, you should get ice to that spot um, immediately as fast as possible. Um, especially if it's an acute injury and you can get it there. Um, so number one, that's where ice can definitely, is great for that. Um, you wanna continue to use ice on the injury um, for I would say at least like a good week. This is my personal philosophy for at least a good like week, five days on that injury until like some of the swelling starts to come down um, quite a bit. And then I would start adding like a, like a cold and then a heat, cold heat process. And by doing that, you would do 15 minutes of cold ice on that area. And then you would wait 20 to 30, 25 to 30 minutes and then put heat on the area and then wait and then come back to like body temperature again and then do cold again. And if you have all day, you would do heat again. And if you have all day, you would do cold again. So you would definitely do a three part process, cold, hot, cold with like, you know, if you, if you ice for 10, you just want them to let it rest for 20 and then heat for 10, rest for 20 and then cold. You always want to finish the cold. If you're, so this is for it to get a lot of blood flow. When I have an injury, when I sprain my ankles, when I'm into like more of a healing phase, right? When it's not like super crazy and swelling, I start doing this, yes? When I'm almost starting, like when I'm using it a little bit, but it still like has like this crazy little bit of swelling in there. Yeah, it's a way to like do hydrotherapy to like actually like get the vessels to like shrink and expand, shrink and expand. And it literally is like pumping the vessels. So it's bringing in fluid, it's sending fluids out, right? That's what ice does, it sends the fluids away. And then it brings it back in and then it sends it away. And so you want to bring, you want to end with sending it away because that's inflammatory, that's inflammation, right? At that point, as so you're sending it away, you're sending the fluid away from the acute area. So you want to, that's like a hydrotherapy. If you're not injured, 
and you just want to like warm up, put the heat on your body and everything's fine. <laughs> and you don't have to feel cool afterwards, you know what I mean? Like, just use heat, you know, like, I use heat, like I already said already in this, um, in this podcast, like, I use baths a lot, like, I bathe, probably, I mean, if I have a bathtub and I have, and I have accessibility, I would bathe every day in a hot bath, like, for sure, and I've, I've done that for many years, as, like, as I possibly could, you know, even touring, I would bring, um, cleaning solutions with me, and I would clean the bathtubs in the hotels, and my roommates and I, we would um, we would bathe in bathtubs in the hotels with after we clean them, um, and we would also ice our feet in the bathtubs at the end of the evening. We would like you know have a little celebration at the end of the night, talking about the performance, and we would you know raid the ice machine or the bar for some ice, and we would fill up somebody's bathtub and then plunge our feet into the cold water at the end of the end of like a ten or twelve hour dance day, you know and you wake up in the fall and morning and the swelling is off, not on your feet anymore, you know, and you do notice a difference when you do that and you don't do it. How about for soreness? So if a dancer is not injured, but they just, something's feeling really sore, would that lean more towards heat or ice? Yeah, I would put, I mean, if I'm not like, if, I mean, heat, I would lean a little bit more to, towards a, to heat with that. You have to feel your, you have to feel it. You know, you don't want to overheat. You don't want to leave the heating pad on, you know, for hours. You know, you might want to heat it up for like, you know, 15 minutes or something before you go to bed, or, you know what I mean, or something like that. But if it's an injury and you know it's an injured area and it's coming in like, and that's an injured area, and even if you heal from the injury and then it starts to be painful again, you might want to consider putting ice on that area and not heat. But if it's just kind of showing up like a little bit of like, oh, I'm kind of achy. You can try like a little bit of warmth, you know. Feel mm. your bodies out, people. <laughs> you live with your body. We live with our own body, you know. And so, you know, I, I and I just think that that a great philosophy is to like not meet pain with pain, you know. And like, if you're in pain, try to find a way to like love yourself, you know, and, and, if, and, and that's in a billion, that could be mean a billion different things. Like that can mean psychologically, emotionally, physically, um, environmentally, um, socially, right? Like if you're in pain, figure something out, you know, like help yourself and find how there's, it is out there for you. Mm. And really meeting yourself where you're at, not judging yourself for how you're feeling. Yeah, exactly. Because like your pain seems like it's separating your yourself from everybody else. But then if everybody felt that way about their pain, then we'd all feel like we're just running around alone, you know? And it's like, and some of the practices I have in class are to actually allow my personal students like to actually talk about their pains and their, their ailments, right? It's like, it's like, I'm, I'm, I hurt, you know, it's like, I'm sore today. Like yesterday we had a really hard class with blah, blah, blah. And like, we are sore. And it's like, that's a real thing, you know what I mean? And like, and being able to like talk about it or address it to another person, you know, and have that person put their hand on that area where you're talking about it. It's the emotion and psychologically like huge, you know, it can really like make a huge difference in your day. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, the emphasis on self-care is just so refreshing to hear. I feel like a lot of times dancers here, just push through it. You're fine. Like, just keep going. Um, so it's just so nice to hear. Awesome for sure. 
Uh, you know what I mean? Like, there is definitely there's the other side of the, I appreciate that. You're right. And self-care is huge, you know? Mm-hmm. We are, this, that pushing through is the demand, you know? It's the demand of ourselves. It's the demand of other people putting on us. It's like, you know, it's that demand of excellence, that demand of more. And I don't think as dancers we're going to stop doing that, you know? But if we can balance it with also not demanding so much. Like we spend a tenth of the day not demanding from ourselves, you know, we'd see a huge difference. Um, is it ever safe for a dancer to intentionally crack a bone? Um, well, you're not really cracking a bone, you're cracking a joint. Um, so like, so they, that's not like, like, first of all, like that's a misconception. It's like, it's not a bone, it's actually a joint. It's actually a capsule. It's actually a synovial capsule, like a joint. And so, and it has synovial fluids in it. And there's like carbon, like uh, probably carbon in there. Um, um, there's like, there's nitrogen, there's carbon dioxide, there's gaseous like oxygen. And so there's many things like inside that joint and a lot of times when you're actually like moving the joint, you're actually moving the capsule and those are gases releasing that we're hearing a lot of times like in our fingers and things like that. Um, the thing about it is that we become obsessive with it and habitual and so we're doing it when we're not thinking about it and we're habituating over it, which actually allows for overextension of the joint, right? So it's like, okay, yesterday I could twist it this much and it cracked. And I did that three times and that felt amazing. And today I did it twice that much, now it won't crack and I need to crack. So what am I going to do? I'm gonna put it in this really obscure position, right? And I'm gonna constantly put it in that obscure position until it cracks. So what is it doing to the infrastructure around it, right? Like, so you're not actually bothering the joint so much, but I would beg to differ that you are affecting the musculature and the in the contractual muscles around it for sure, right? Like those are contractual muscles that you're constantly stretching or putting into oblique angles that don't exist for that muscle for that muscle region. So like you know, crack, cracking your back, yeah, it feels great. But what position are you putting yourself in to do that? Like that's not a real position. You know what I mean? Like, and so you you could be potentially weakening the joint, but you're not weakening the actual joint. You're actually weakening the muscles that contain that that whole joint, right? In your you could be hurting them, you could be overstretching them, you could be constantly shortening them, right? So you're actually like traumatizing it, which you think it feels great because it's instant relief. But over five years of cracking your knuckles, I wonder how it would feel if you didn't crack them. You might feel some sort of like stiffness. You might feel some like tautness in there. Um, uh, turgid, turgid is another word that we use, right? Like the turgid is where the fluids are pushing out from the inside. And like you might feel that, but that joint will strengthen and those pains will, that will go away and then you won't be cracking your neck anymore. You know, it's like, it's not really that healthy. <laughs> so you don't want to be forcing you don't want to be there. Like, you don't want to be like, you're not, the misconception is that we're, that we're, that we're, that we're adjusting ourselves. You're not adjusting yourself. You're perfectly aligned. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not a chiropractor. You know what I mean? There is nothing, I highly doubt that you, that there is, it's called subluxation. And like, 
I highly doubt that you are sublux subluxated and that you are putting that joint back into alignment. Mm -hmm. the, the, you first of all would if your if your joint went that quickly out of alignment, you would be in pain, right? Mm -hmm. And usually it's a habit or obsessiveness that we crack our joints. It's usually not because of pain. Right? We're like afterwards we're like, I would feel so much better if that cracked, but that's not necessarily true because you have to crack it again in 10 minutes. Right? Is that true? Because <laughs> if you have to crack it 30 times a day, I'm not sure the crack is what's making you feel better. <laughs> Perhaps the crack is what's not making you feel better if you have to do it every time you have to stand up, right? <laughs> Perhaps it's the crack that's like, you know, is, is, the, uh, is the instigator. Definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so kind of jumping off of that, for dancers that are looking to gain flexibility, what do you recommend for them to do this safely? Well, I mean, it depends on like how you define flexibility. Cause I think like the mind is really flexible. And I think that's really important to like establish to start off with, you know, and like, and so for defining flexibility, like in the body, I think the mind is still in control of that because I mean, if you think of like a yoga practice, you know, like yogis, yeah, they're bendy, but they also are really strong, right? They're not just bending into positions, they're actually putting their body somewhere, right? It's with intention. And a lot of times we forget to think of flexibility as intention. Like, where do you want your leg to go, right? Like, where do you want it to go, right? It's not that it's not flexible, but it's like, it's a mindset as well. Right, so I think like stretching safely is like having a safe practice, you know, of like stretching technically. Are you using it in your practice? Is it is it something that is um, attributing your practice of dance, or is are you do you think is is it not right? Like, are you stretching in a non a non anatomical way, right, where the joint wouldn't necessarily need that? Um, and also acceptance of who we are. I mean, it's like if you're a dancer, you dance because you like to move, not because you want to be more flexible, right? Like, like that's not a goal. I don't. It's a. It's it, it's that is a very. It's a very west. It's a very western like mindset and like traditional dance. And if we if we're gonna say like traditional dance, and we're looking at this like. European eccentric, European style of dancing like ballet, and like okay, so ballerinas are flexible, but uh, I, I really argue that every single dance form is so strongly um, attuned to flexibility in the same way that ballet is. And so, if we're putting our mindset and we're comparing it to classical ballet, you know, if we're comparing it to tradition to classical to this like form you know, and modern forms that are American modern dance forms, then yeah, then you have to become this body, right? But I really don't think that's dance. I think that dance is so much larger than that. And I really think that a lot of other dance forms don't require flexibility the same way that we're comparing or we continue to compare ourselves to because of a systemic problem, which is saying like, in order to be dancing, you have to do this, right? And that's not true. And so I think stretching and flexibility is, is a really is the epitome of that, you know, and it's a huge systemic problem because we're trying to make ourselves look like this standard 
right? And so as soon as we can feel comfortable that this is what my body does, now we get to actually experience it and do it, right? This is what my body does. Wait, you can see what it does, right? Now that my body can hopefully at one point do what everybody or what this editing does, right? Like this is what it does. And that's a hard, that's a big shift in the paradigm, you know? And that was a very philosophical answer for stretching. <laughs> but we have, to, we have to understand when we're asking those questions who we're comparing, what, we're, what the comparison is, you know, and like what the importance is and why, you know, stretches for safety, right? It's for safety so that we can continue to do what we need to do, right? And, and that's gonna be different according to what kind of dancing you do, you know, and what kind of stretching you do. And also thinking about it more as the experience of stretching unless I'm stretching to reach this goal of looking a different way, but rather being in the stretching at the moment because that's what's necessary for me. Right, yeah, it's about experience, it's like, this stretch is like opening my vessel, right? And it's allowing my vessel to do more, allowing me the consciousness to know that my body is doing more. But maybe some people don't want to do that and still want to dance, right? Like maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they feel so moved by like the constriction and like the bounding of it right you've seen somebody who's like bound dancers boxers are kind of bound right a little bit right and it's like it's like you can see it and they enjoy it and it's their aesthetic and it's how they move i mean i would say that like the grand technique if we're going to go into like you know like this like form i would say that's a contracted style obviously right and it's a bound style i'm not sure that flexibility is really necessary in the grand technique you know what I mean? I think that you need strength in order to be able to put your leg up there in the air. <laughs> and to hold it there. That's strength, right? That's, I mean, it is flexibility, but it's strength. I mean, how many people do you know that are flexible that fall over when they lift one leg off the ground? Right? And it's like, so what's flexibility? So a bit of a, a shift in perspective. Yeah, a shift in perspective. Just having a little, like, autonomy of ourselves, you know? So in your experience, what is the connection between the mind and the body? I think like if I can just share like I think I remember coming into my body, you know, and I think that took a long time. And I think coming into your body is actually having real knowing of where each part is at a certain time, how things are feeling. I think that the mind is really amazing because it can it can latch on to the most heightened sense, right? Like, you know, you could have just stub your toe, right? But that your friend may have also told the most amazing joke at the time that you stubbed your toe, right? And so you're laughing, right? And you're not even like, you're holding your toe and you're laughing. But possibly if your friend wasn't telling that joke, it didn't happen. You might be crying because your toe hurts so bad, right? It's a, our mind tends to like follow a heightened sense. And so I really feel like that's like the sense of a mind-body connection is like understanding like where, where, our, where our, what our bodies are feeling. 
you know, at certain times and like that. I, when I started to, some of the movement would be like, if I was on the ground, maybe I'd be like pushing my knee into the floor and that would be hurting my knee. But I would also know that it was like getting this kind of like stretch here or stretch again. But I also know that we'd be getting this really unusual, unusual stretch, like in my oblique area, where I could reach my arm to us to a length that I never could before, and that felt amazing that I could do that. So that was like some for me as a dancer, I'm trying to relate my body in that way, and like that. Wow, there's like this one thing that is like really kind of like I'm probably gonna have a floor burn down there, but I'm kind of willing to like use my mind to connect to that body area to allow the other part to feel, you know? And I feel like that is a mind-body connection for me. Mm. Like how I see it. Definitely, yeah, that's a very cool way to think about it. I like that. Yeah, sort of using the, the mind to shift the experience within the body. Well, I know like a lot of us like are, or a lot of young dancers or dancers in general are experiencing like gaga technique and like a lot of times like gaga does talk about like you know um enjoying the pain you know and it's one of the first like techniques that like doesn't talk about sucking it up like we talked about earlier in the cult you know it's like it does talk about sucking it it does talk about like feeling it right and that's why that work is so visceral and connects i think to people is because they're feeling it and they have felt it and they're allowed to feel it, you know. So kind of moving on to the final questions, um, what is the number one piece of advice you would like to give to the movement toward change dance community? Uh, I think that like, we've had quite a bit of like moments of advice here through this interview. And I just would say to really embrace your own personal change, you know, and to allow space for that, to, to know that like what you're doing now could potentially be there at another point in your life, you know? And like, so to constantly allowing open space for, for change, for trying something different. In this moment, is there a specific quote that speaks to you? I've been like having like Jose Limon on my mind a lot because he was such a radical um, thinker and choreographer, an immigrant, Mexican born. You know, he did work about, um, about being an immigrant. He did work about um, sorrow and grief and happiness and joy and slavery and racism and sexism and Bible, works about the Bible, works about Greek mythology. And he just had this, huge body of work that was so full of variety that he was just willing to put dive in as an artist and use the artist's lens. And he had said like, we are never more truly and profoundly human than when we dance. And um, I think that echoes out like really far because we see people dance, you know, and people who don't think they're dancers when they dance is some of the most amazing times because they are making this incredible choice, you know, with this body that they never make. And 
And I think that's really, really dignifying as a human to, to dance. And it has a lot of dignity to be a dancer. And, uh, and I just want us all to like continue to like move forward with ourselves. Definitely, I love that so much. That's such a good quote. Yes, this was really wonderful. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, community. If you have further questions for Brian or would like to schedule an appointment, you can feel free to contact him through email, which we will put in the show notes. Thank you.